0: Welcome to Thinking Through Autonomy, a podcast to help you understand the promise and impact of autonomous land and air vehicles in our world. I'm Ken Dunlap, managing partner of Catalyst GO, taking you on this journey. Hear and read more at thinkingthroughautonomy.com. Now it's time to take your hands off the wheel, foot off the pedal, hand off that throttle, and let's go. Welcome to this edition of Thinking Through Autonomy. We're here with Israel Stahl, noted author, serial inventor, for the second part of this three-part series on innovation and creativity. In part one of the series, we asked why should we care about creativity in our lives and organizations? And in this part, we're gonna discuss the particulars of innovation and creativity. And yes, we've promised we'll wrap it up in part three with a wild ride thinking through the ways in which you can bring creativity to your workplace. Israel Stahl, welcome back to Thinking Through Autonomy for our second in a series of conversations on creativity and innovation. We're really glad to have you back in our studio. Thank You, you wrote this book, it's called Creativity and Its Practice, and quite frankly, that book was so interesting, I did track you down and I said, I need to find the person who wrote this book, and that's how we met. And I want to know, what made you write a book? What happened? You sat down and said I need to write a book or tell me a little bit about how creativity and its practice came into being. And by the way folks, it's available on the Amazon store right now.
1: Yeah, as as an engineer for about 36 years in industry, I was involved with several projects and uh, there were situations where I was able, I had opportunities to invent different solutions, advance different concepts for uh, different applications in the welding and assembly area for our customers. So, after doing it for a long time and securing a number of patents, myself and often my colleagues, I've decided uh, I've become very, very curious about the creative process and how it is different from the innovation as a result i decided to write the book uh, as a way of conveying my understanding and my insights into these two areas and share them students share them with uh, different organizations hoping that they will benefit from my experience
0: that's great um, did writing this book get in the way of your inventing? Was it a compliment to your inventing?
1: No, it was not a show. Uh, it did not get into my way of doing my job. I still was uh, employed uh, by the company that employed me. Um, in addition, I engaged my daughter, who her name is Talia Stoll, who is a very good uh, English writer. And she was able to edit the book for me and polish it to the form that it is right now.
0: Well, it's an amazing book. Um, It's one of those books, after having been involved in several successful and unsuccessful corporate innovation programs, it's a book that I wish I would have had when I started because I think it would have solved a lot of the problems that we wound up experiencing in these various endeavors we had at the various companies I've worked at. Um, let's go and, and start at the basics, Israel. Can you tell the audience what is creativity? We've bounded and bandied that word around um, for a episode and a half now, but what is it? What is creativity?
1: Allow me to start uh, to ask you or the listeners to use your, their imagination before I get to my definition of creativity. I would like to ask you to imagine that you are in a universe of available, accessible information in different areas, which is based on, let's say, your recollections from your childhood, your personal experience, your education, your exposure to expertise, and characteristics and personalities of other individuals friends or colleagues, whatever whatever is accessible. And I would like you to think for a moment of taking this vast number of seemingly discrete pieces of information, accessible pieces of information, and applying some of them to solve a given problem, the way you would solve the problem you would consciously and or unconsciously, subconsciously will take select pieces of information, this accessible information combine them in a certain way that will give you the solution that is an invention when an invention takes place it is a singularity It happens at a very specific time and space only once. There's always a first time and anything that follows that, you know, will be different. That gets to my definition of creativity. My definition of creativity is as follows. It is recombinant imitation with a new twist. It's a very simple definition and I hope that you and other people will be able to reflect on it and apply it and use it.
0: That's fascinating, very fascinating. But I think I have a more basic question for you because in my experience, we have creative people, we have um, folks who like things in order. What if I have a personality that needs order and likes repetition and likes patterns and finds comfort in the patterns and in the order. Does that mean I should stop listening to this podcast because really there's no reason for me to understand creativity? Or does everyone need to understand creativity?
1: I think everybody needs to understand creativity. And furthermore, I don't think the aptitude to be creative has much to do with the desire, with the tendency, uh, or prefe- the preference of being orderly, organized, or disorganized. It just—it's a innate talent that can be fostered, can be honed, can be developed and improved over
0: time with experience. So you're saying there's hope for the rest of us.
1: <laughs> Let me think about.
0: <laughs> I wasn't asking you if there's hope for me. I was wondering if there was hope for the rest of us.
1: I'll get back to you next week.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll do that the next episode. You talked about an innovation as a singularity. You briefly mentioned innovation. Creativity. So creativity is the singularity. Then let me ask you, what is the relationship between creativity and innovation?
1: Okay. Creativity is the act of coming up with a noble concept, a noble solution that in support or with a goal to benefit somebody or something innovation is the act of taking this invention and implement it implementing it again towards a certain goal for somebody or something
0: which leads me to to wonder when we hear about the topic of innovation and creativity, today's lexicon primarily discusses it within a corporate context. Be as we were talking before. Be like Silicon Valley. Can't you be more creative like Bill Gates or Elon Musk? Um, can't you be more creative like Louis Pasteur? And that's viewed on it as an enterprise kind of solution set. But I'm wondering. For me, as an individual, sitting here in Pittsburgh, where does creativity fall on an individual spectrum? As an individual, do I need to be creative where, you know, my day is driving to work and driving back, and maybe there's no expectation that I'm creative or contribute to innovation? What's the role of creativity in an individual?
1: I think creativity uh, can be used, can be applied to different walks of life, different endeavors, whatever individual is involved with. It can be in your uh, private life, uh, out of out of your job, out of the workplace, but it's also often very beneficial to be creative while you work. That's I I believe that that's one of the reasons why most of us have been have been paid when we had the job and we were paid to, to come up with solutions to different problems that the, the company is facing.
0: So I guess you're kind of talking about the whole of a person, that the whole of the person has an individual creative aspect and that yes, creative yes. aspect is also to uh, available to contribute in the workplace sure. and there shouldn't be a bias thinking that creativity is only part of the work routine.
1: Absolutely
0: not. Okay, so then this is more of a 24-7 pursuit rather than a 9-to-5 pursuit.
1: Absolutely.
0: Which, you know, which I think it says that you don't have to be focused on Silicon Valley to really benefit from a discussion on innovation and creativity.
1: Well, I, I would like to refer a little bit to the Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and all of those other geniuses that uh, really revolutionized uh, certain industries. Um, I think we all ought to look uh, up to these people and try to learn how they accomplish what they accomplish with their talent and drive and tenacity. It's really admirable. We should use it almost as a benchmark. Mm -hmm. So I have a tremendous respect for these industries.
0: Well, one of my personal heroes is Elon Musk. Um, I have watched, I think, nearly every single SpaceX launch and find each one absolutely amazing and brings back the excitement of, quite frankly, when we were kids and we were watching rockets go to the moon.
1: All right.
0: Israel, that spurs a question in my mind about the dependencies between creativity and innovation. Are these separate can they exist without one another can one exist without being dependent on another what how does that work how do you view that
1: creativity as i mentioned already before is really the act of coming up with a novel idea or a concept innovation is the act of implementing that concept producing it to practice productizing etc testing it perhaps now Uh, The relationship between the two is as follows. You can have creativity without innovation, but you cannot have innovation without creativity.
0: And let's just talk a little bit about imitation. Doesn't creativity maybe start with doing a little imitation? Imitating what we see and experience, you know, quite frankly, you can say we imitate what's in nature and we try to mechanize it or we see what's in nature and we try to turn it into some sort of autonomous system what what's the role between imitation and creativity
1: that's a very good uh, question Um, and i i'm glad that you you're bringing it up so uh, i believe that imitation is the avatar of creativity
0: what do you mean by avatar
1: it's really the precedent, it's the foundation for, for being able to be creative. Now, before I get back to the creativity and my definition, which I already mentioned before, I want to distinguish two types of imitation. One type of imitation, it's the direct imitation or mundane imitation. This is the act where one repeats exactly what was done or is being done by somebody else or another system, yes. The other type of imitation is creative, okay, imitation. And creative imitation is the act of taking what is known, and, and it, it, often it, con, it consists of several points of information, accessible uh, information, and reconfiguring the relationship between those elements and coming up with something new. This is the singularity that I talked about before. Mm-hmm. And this gets me back to the definition, which is uh, creativity is recombined imitation with a new twist. And that, that gets to another uh, question. And the question is, what is the purpose of patents? Why do companies and I- individuals secure patents? Why even patents exist? We have a patent office and international bodies to police patents and so on. I I believe that all patents, the purpose of the patents is to capture the twists that I just talked about. But it's all based on imitation. It
0: stems from imitation. So let's kind of roll this conversation into the workplace. The top question is, well, Can you tell me, Israel, what a creative person looks like? But maybe there's a deeper question. What are some of the hallmarks or key traits of creative people? So if you decide you need a creative person on your team, if you need to foster creativity in a team that doesn't have it, what are some of these key traits that you kind of focus on?
1: Creative individuals, uh, and that's based on what I've observed over the years, are often driven individuals. Sometimes they have a very strong confidence in their concept and their ability to advance a new a new idea. But that doesn't mean that they are confident socially. So when you talk about confidence, it's it, it's very it's it's really related to to the person and all the activity that you or she israel uses. we've been
0: talking a lot about creativity and creativity of individuals and creativity of teams but i want to know what does a creative person look like how as a manager do i know that this person is creative how do i know if i'm creative myself what, what are kind of the qualities i need to to think about whether it's internally or look at Um, Externally for candidates and teams, if I'm really concentrating on building a truly creative organization and a truly creative team, what's a what's a creative person look like?
1: Yeah, this is this is uh, there are no specific attributes that apply to all inventive individuals it's very situational and dispositional dispositional the personality of the person and so on but uh, I would like to start uh, as far as organizations are concerned and the need to identify creative individuals uh, one has to start with the track record of an individual Uh, the management or supervisory personnel and even colleagues after a while they would start to notice that certain individuals are very uh, deft with coming up with uh, interesting ideas and solutions to certain problems. Uh, However, allow me to generalize some of the the qualities of individuals that are creative, that I have uh, observed over the years and also based on my reading of history of creative individuals. It really starts with individuals that have the innate aptitude to be creative. What does that mean? It means that certain people, when they look at a set of data related to a given problem, they have a certain way of coming up with solutions that are not just direct imitation. It's not just a repetition of what was done before. They are able to take and, and reflect on what they have known, what they have learned in the past, and come up based on this data, take different parts of this data in different areas and amalgamate it to, become, to, to come up with an invention, with a solution. So aptitude is very important.
0: And can you test for that? We'll talk about that later, if you can or cannot, but...
1: I think, I think yes. I think, yeah, our, there are different aptitude tests to test creativity. But creative, we have to be careful, but creativity, it does not apply only to one area, one discipline. They are able, it's just like different types of intelligence. Uh, for example, there's an emotional intelligence, there's intelligence of analytical intelligence, and so on. So in the, in the aptitude area, in, yeah, in the area of, of creativity, there are certain individuals that are very creati- creative in certain areas. For example, take Bach, Vivaldi, Mozart, uh, Baroque uh, composers, contemporary uh, composers such as Michael Jackson. Okay? They, have, they have had uh, the aptitude to come up with incredibly beautiful and attractive appealing aesthetically and emotionally appealing music based on their aptitude their talent to be uh, to do that so one way of uh, approaching it is maybe aptitude is a form of intelligence okay the other the other quality or attribute of a, a creative individual is often creative individuals make a decision to want to be creative. They almost mentally dedicate dedicate themselves to be creative. Creative individuals often are voracious readers and they have a very strong desire and appetite to learn uh,
0: different areas.
1: I think in your book
0: you call it openness to learning. Openness to learning, yes.
1: In order to uh, play out or act on their creative abilities, many of them are very confident in what they do. They, They believe, whether it's right or wrong, but they believe, they have a firm conviction that their ideas are sound and potentially implementable they are very, very tenacious and persistent in pursuing their ideas because of their belief in those ideas. Another area which is extremely important, especially for corporate uh, creativity, is many times creative individuals are willing and often seek collaboration with people in different disciplines and expertise that complement uh, what they're trying to do. Uh, even, let's say, that there's a person that is very creative, that doesn't mean that that individual knows everything about all disciplines. And allow me to take Elon Musk, okay, who is one of my ad- idols when it comes to creativity. He has come up with, the, with he has established SpaceX. He's not a mechanical engineer, He's not a metallurgical engineer, he's not an aviation engineer, aerospace engineer, but his genius was, in order to uh, realize, actualize his concept okay, and establish SpaceX, he brought in very, very talented engineers in mechanical engineering, metallurgical engineering, testing engineers, quality assurance engineers, chemical engineers. Uh, aerospace engineers and on and on and on so he he was able and willing to engage these different talents okay to be able to implement his concept his vision
0: so if my thought is you will only find creative people locked away in their garage by themselves or locked away in their basement by themselves that is probably a misunderstanding of where true, true creativity comes from. No, it?
1: no, there, there, are some, there are some individuals that do lock themselves in the garage. Those are the, the I don't know, sole inventors or sole creative individuals. Uh, for example, Goodyear. Goodyear who came up uh, with, with, the, with the improvement of the tires he uh, he came up with the idea, he came across through experimentation with the idea of putting sulfur into karchuk, uh, which is natural rubber. And that's what ina- enabled him to come up with a whole, in- create a whole in- industry, which is the tire industry. And he did it pretty much on his own. Okay, right. Yeah, And there are many, many other examples. Now, another very good example of a uh, very creative individual that was uh, using different talents is Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison he, he came up with a ticker and he came up, he came up with, with ideas associated with the incandescent lamp and telephone and so on on and on and on but nevertheless in order to implement some of his concept he engaged technicians and engineers that knew much more about electricity, knew much more about how to process tungsten and so on. Many, many talents. And he, he founded the first applied research and development center uh, in New Jersey, Manolo Park. But again, he, he, was, he was very talented, he was very inventive, but he recognized that he needed other talents and expertise to help him
0: implement and realize his inventions. As we get near the end of our podcast, one of the things that has struck me from your book and the conversations that we've had is that while we all think of creativity in glowing terms, where we idolize creative people and creative processes, creativity has a dual nature, doesn't it? I mean, there's, so to speak, a dark side of the force and we need to understand that. Tell us a little bit more about, let's just call it the dark side of creativity.
1: I'm glad you asked that. Creativity has two faces to it, like mirror images of each other. I call them the destructive type of creativity and constructive, whether an invention is used for nefarious purposes, destructive purposes, or constructive, beneficial purposes to humanity.
0: Well, the difference between a nuclear reactor and a nuclear bomb.
1: Yes. Those are dicta- This is dictated by two simple variables. Those are the situational variable, which is the more objective variable. This is the time, the culture, the the resources available, funding, uh, the society that one lives in, and so on, and the dispositional variable. The dispositional is the most subjective uh, part of this equation, and that is, that, uh, is dictated by the aptitude of the individual, the personality of the individual, his or her ability to follow the conventions or break from these conventions and be daring and go against the mainstream. Those are the characteristics of a person. But these two variables, the situational and dispositional, they dictate whether an invention becomes constructive or destructive. Your example of nuclear uh, technology is a very good one. Einstein, based on his uh, realization or development of the theory of relativity and understanding of physics in the, of atoms, he predicted that, uh, uh, he calculated the potential of uh, building a nuclear bomb and his equation was uh, mc uh, squared, where c is the speed of light, m is mass, and this is energy, and that's the nuclear bomb. That's the basis for the nuclear bomb. In the United States, Fermi and some other people, physicists, have demonstrated the feasibility of of getting a nuclear reaction, which could uh, generate enormous amounts of energy so this is the this is the foundation of the nuclear industry at the same time physicists uh, during Nazi Germany under Hitler they started to develop a nuclear bomb Mm -hmm. in Norway and so on so the same technology based on the same uh, invention okay could be used either to be very destructive or very constructive for civilian purposes the same is with chemistry chemistry can be used for warfare yes destruction of uh, many people it can be used also for getting all the appliances and all the beneficial agents that we are benefiting from
0: and that's you know that is kind of i would say the aspect of, of creativity that kind of hits you across the back of the head where yes. you, you realize that that there is a dual use quite frankly for a lot of the technologies that are developed. Yes. You have a very interesting insight in your book though instead of having this cross-pollination of people and ideas and creativity and patents that this explosion of creativity is actually creating silos not only in academia but there are silos within our corporations there are silos in the various industrial disciplines out there and that's actually hurting creativity can you maybe expand a little bit more on that and what what you've said in your book
1: yes <clears throat> silos basically in corporations or organizations they are a manifestation of our tribalism, tendency to be tribalized uh, as individuals. We all have a strong instinctual sense or desire to belong. And that also applies to technological and scientific organizations. Now, let's look for, for example to medicine. In medicine, you know, there are so many fields nowadays that are, they seem to be unrelated to each other but they are certainly related to each other and what happens in medicine often physicians that specialize in one area have very little desire and opportunity to communicate with physicians in other areas for example researchers that, uh, that research uh, uh, alzheimer okay? often they have nothing to do with the general practitioner, and so on. And that applies in physics, chemistry, and on and on and on. It can be both a benefit to be to being in silos, but it can also be a huge disadvantage. And the disadvantage is already what you alluded to, and that is the disconnect of communication between these different disciplines, a cross On the other hand, by by being becoming more and more specialized, those silos are very beneficial in intensifying the focus of the people that are working in certain areas on what they are doing. So, so it goes both ways, and I think the way it has to be managed, it has to be managed by, let's say, experienced, wise managers and supervisors not to allow this culture to become so stagnant, so, so stagnant, so it's so siloized to the point where the organization is ineffective as far, as far as its ability to be creative.
0: Israel, thanks very much for that insight. I'd like to thank you for joining us on Thinking Through Autonomy. We'll be getting together again, hopefully for the third part of this series, and we'll talk about cultural issues management um, techniques, and trying to figure out how you can incorporate creativity and innovation in your workplace in episode three. So thank you very much.